Yogi Fuel podcast, the podcast that's all about up-leveling your health, your practice, and your consciousness. We'll be taking the ancient wisdom of yoga and Ayurveda mixed with modern science, having conscious conversations with spiritual thought leaders and alternative health professionals, and sometimes just me sharing my own experiences and knowledge to support you on your spiritual journey. I'm your host, Melissa Singh, and this is the Yogi Fuel Podcast. All right, guys, this week I'm really excited to bring to you a conversation that I had with my buddy, Sean Weldman, who's a manual osteopath and the founder of Photoelectric Synergy, which is an online biohacking community. Now, you may have heard of biohacking, and you've probably heard by now about blue light blockers, and they become really popular, but you might have no idea what blue light is, and you might have no idea how this relates to Ayurveda or yoga or what this has to do with yogi fuel at all. Well, the thing is, is that many of us are living in very artificial environments. We are working in front of computers, which are rich with blue light. We're working under fluorescent lighting. We're indoors and we're just disconnected from nature. And so biohacking is sort of like a, a practice that helps to bring us back and reconnect us with the rhythms of nature. We started off by talking all about blue light and EMF, which you may have heard of. You've probably heard about blue light blocking glasses, and you probably know that you know technology is not so great for us, but Sean is super smart, and he really breaks down exactly what blue light is, why it's bad for us. He does the same with EMF or electromagnetic frequencies. He gets into exactly what it does to our body on a cellular level and what that's actually going to manifest as in terms of physical symptoms. And then we obviously get into how to mitigate those things through different biohacks, lifestyle practices. And he shares a little bit about some of the photobiomodulation devices that he and his friend have started making. Um, and he goes into exactly what a photobiomodulation device is. So if you don't know, you should keep listening so you can find out. And then Sean and I, we go down the rabbit hole and we start talking about what I would loosely categorize as the unconscious use of technology and how it's impacting us and how it's impacting our kids. And something I want to say from the beginning is I think there are probably some opinions or perspectives in this podcast that might not resonate with you and that you might not agree with and that you might find offensive. Sean really tells it like it is. He is not trying to sugarcoat anything or make anyone feel good. He is literally just sharing facts and his experience and things that he's seen in his own work and in his own life. And so I really encourage you and something we actually chat about in the podcast is really listen to this episode with an open mind. And if you feel you know, triggered or upset about any of the stuff that you hear, I really encourage you to take a deep breath and reflect on why that is, right? Use this podcast as an opportunity to do a little self-reflection because oftentimes when we hear something that like triggers us or makes us upset, it's often um, a lot more to do with us than it is about the other person. So maybe it's something that you know that you're not doing or that you're doing too much of that is making you feel that way. And, you know, a lot of what we talk about is around parenting and technology. And one of the hardest truths that I sort of faced as a parent was the realization that like I was having sats watch way too much TV and I was really using the TV as a babysitter and following Sean and, you know, listening to Sean, what he has to say, 
was one of like the wake up calls. I needed to sort of make that change and that shift in my life. And I have to say, it wasn't easy to hear that. And it wasn't easy to sort of have this realization that, oh my God, you know, how I'm interacting with stats and how I'm parenting is not in alignment with what I'm committed to as a parent. Like what I say I'm committed to as a parent is that I'm this conscious parent who's like present and engaged with stats. Meanwhile, most of the time she was like watching Paw Patrol and I was, you know, like disengaging because I was tired. So you know, as a mother, I totally get it. You know, we're tired, we're exhausted and it can be really hard. And I think there is a place and a role for technology with our children and, you know, teaching them how to positively um, interact with it is really important. And teaching and being conscious of how we interact with technology is also important because technology is in our lives. We all interact with it pretty much every day. And so learning how to be conscious and mindful about it is so important because it's so easy to go down the rabbit hole and to just completely engage with it and not be mindful. But one of the things I really stand for, you know, with Yogi Fuel is teaching people how to consciously engage and choose how they're living their life. And for me, you know, I feel like I wasn't really being a fully conscious parent. And the realization of that was kind of painful. And it's very easy for me to be like, screw that guy, Sean. He said this thing. I'm not going to listen to him. But really and truly, like the stuff he was saying was right. And my sort of pain and my resistance to that was actually just as a result of the fact that I knew that I wasn't doing what, you know, I wasn't showing up in my best way for my daughter. And I wasn't living in alignment with what I was actually committed to as a parent. Anyways, this is not an episode about parenting, but um, it is all about blue light, EMF, and the way that we engage with and on you know, social media and technology. And I'm super excited for you guys to hear what Sean has to say. He's super smart. He really knows what he's talking about. So it is my pleasure to welcome Sean to the podcast. All right, John, thanks for coming. Uh, before we get into all the stuff that we're going to chat about today, which is a lot of stuff because I have a lot of questions for you, um, I'd love for you to maybe just share with people in your own words, like who you are, what you do, and then a bit about your story and how you got into all this stuff. Sure. Yeah, I'd be more than happy to. just want to first uh, thank you for having me on. I'm excited to uh, have a great conversation with you about a variety of different things. So as people know, my name is Sean Wellman. I'm a manual osteopath. And, um, you know, I'm working with a friend of mine, we're selling photobiomodulation devices. So red and near infrared light therapy devices that have a lot of beneficial effects on the body. So before I get in, into more of that, those kind of things, I want to backtrack and talk a little bit about um, the history that kind of led me to where I'm at right now, because I think it's very important for people to understand kind of how things progress, you know, day to day, month to month, year to year to get someone from being in a state where they're totally ignorant and incoherent to what's really going on in this world, both of themselves and their surroundings, to getting to a place of conscious awareness and seeing things for what they are versus what ultimately people want uh, things to be, right? So back in 2012, it was actually uh, 2011, December 31st, 2011, I was at Bellevue Manor uh, Banquet Hall celebrating New Year's with uh, family, having a great time you know, getting lit with the squad, you know, just doing my thing that, you know, any ordinary 21-year-old kid would be doing, right? And just having a good time, you know, being very vicarious, not really thinking about consequences. And, you know, it was a great night. You know, I'll give it that. It was, it was an awesome night. had a great time. Uh, but the next morning, January 1st, 2012, that's where things started to really change 
for the worst, ultimately, because started to notice certain symptomology associated with issues, health-related issues. And I went to the doctor, you know, a couple of days later, thinking that it would pass, you know, maybe it was just like a cold or a sickness of sorts. And, um, you know, I went the medical route and trying to figure out what was going on. And I was ultimately left with more questions than it was answers. And eventually, you know, I got diagnosed with uh, chronic non-bacterial prostatitis. So in other words, enlarged prostate. And that came with a whole host of uh, very um, uncomfortable symptoms, to say the least. And it kind of uh, had a domino effect uh, down from there where it went from the chronic uh, non-bacterial prostatitis to having testicular cysts to developing TMJ, digestive problems, bloating, depression, anxiety. You know, it was a very uh, rough time in my life. And I don't usually um, open up and tell people directly about some of the health-related issues that I experienced, but I felt compelled to share that more openly today because I know there's a lot of people that suffer, especially men, from prostate problems. And it's estimated that one in six men in their lifetime will develop prostate cancer. And that number is even higher with... um, non-cancerous prostate issues. So there is light at the end of the tunnel. I know that from personal experience. And um, throughout my journey, I you know, went and saw so many different therapists, uh, four urologists, one kidney specialist. And once again, you know, as I stated before, I was left with you know, more questions than I had answers. And you know, the definition of sanity, as uh, the great Albert Einstein once said, is to do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. So at some point in my life, I was at a crossroads where I decided that, okay, you know, if I just continue to do what I'm doing right now, I'm not going to get better. I'm going to be on medications for the rest of my life, and I'm just going to be a cash cow to the medical mafia. So I decided to empower myself with knowledge, reading books, listening to podcasts, um, you know, providing uh, myself education on, you know, different avenues and so on and so forth. And it was from there that I started to really analyze my diet, you know, what I was consuming. I tried a number of different diets, anywhere from veganism, vegetarianism, raw foodism, paleoism, uh, intermittent fasting, keto, you name it, I've done it. Okay. And I got some relief along the ways, you know, the next two to three years of, of experimentation, but I couldn't really hit the cusp of where I wanted to be. There was always this roadblock that was in my way, standing in front of me, and I couldn't quite break through that barrier. So it wasn't until around 2016, I believe, that I discovered the work of Dr. Jack Cruz, who's a neurosurgeon. And he talks a lot about three important principles of health that are not um, related to food per se, and that would be light, water, and magnetism. So light is the the primordial essence energy source that gives uh, life to everything on this planet. Water being the ultimate electrical capacitor to store that electrical energy that we get exposed to from sun. And then magnetism, increasing the speed and, and increasing the charge of the flow of the electrical energy that gets stored into the water. So when you combine those three together and uh, you start applying these teachings through circadian rhythms, through enhancing mitochondrial function, through all these different avenues, you know, you really start to get to the root of your issues. And 
you know, to sum up on what, I, what I'm touching on, the root of many people's issues is mitochondrial dysfunction. Now, to give a little quick recap of what the mitochondria is, the mitochondria is a organelle that is that sits inside every cell. It's the powerhouse, the engine that gives um, all of the energy that we need on a day-to-day basis. We can make up to our body weight in ATP, which is adenosine triphosphate, every single day. And if we stop producing sufficient amounts of ATP, we don't have enough energy to meet the demands that is placed upon our bodies every single day. And as a result, we can get sick, we can develop diseases, disorders, dysfunctions. It's estimated that 85% of Neolithic diseases are caused by mitochondrial dysfunction. So, you know, through this process of learning more about the mitochondria, how it works, and uh, what we can do to optimize it, I started to vastly improve my health. And, um, you know, from there on, you know, it's just been a very, uh, I guess, uh, progressive uh, experience for me. And I continue to elevate my status of health each and every day. And, you know, from then on forward, I decided, well, I have this knowledge. Now I have to start sharing this knowledge, right? Because knowing it is half the battle, sharing it is completing that puzzle. And if we have all this information and we don't share it, then quite frankly, I think that we're not doing our moral obligation. And that's to help other people through our own experiences. For sure. I love that. And I love that, you know, you came to this realization that it's not just about the food that you eat. And I think even on my journey as well, like, you know, same as you, I've done, you know, the paleo, I'm mostly vegan slash plant-based now, but I'm starting to realize, like you said, from Jack Cruz, the importance of our environment and actually something, can't remember if it was something he said or someone else said is that we're so focused on our paleo diet. What about our paleo environment? And so I thought that was like so huge. I'm like, man, here I am, you know, being super conscious about what I'm eating. And I'm like moderately conscious about my environment, but not to the level that say you are after all of these learnings. So some of the stuff I really want to ask you today are about the things that are in our environment that are sort of like toxic, that are, that are, you know, impacting our health. And I know two of the big ones are EMF and blue light. So I know you're super knowledgeable on both those things. So I'd love for you to maybe share a little bit about EMF and what exactly it is. Because like I said earlier, I think people have this general understanding that technology is not great for us, that being in front of the TV or computer isn't great for us. But I think there's a disconnect as to like, why? Like for me, I think, you know, I have a daughter now and I know I should limit her screen time. And I think we all hear that and we might think, oh, it's because TV is addictive. And yes, that's like one facet of it, but there's a lot of other very like subtle energetic things that are happening that are impacting her health, our health, if we're constantly on our computer or our phone. So I guess we can start, like I said, with maybe sharing about EMF and like what exactly it is. And if you want to sort of tie blue light in there too, I think they kind of go hand in hand, um, just sharing for people who might have no idea what those things are, what they are, and then, you know, sort of getting into what they're doing to our mitochondria, like at a cellular level. Sure. Yeah, it's absolutely great question and it's imperative that we talk about that because it's one of the most uh, evasive, prevalent issues that we're dealing with in our environment. And it's kind of like silent weapons for quiet wars. It's not something that you can ultimately perceive, at least for the most part, yet it's having biological effects on our organism that are detrimental to our health. So when we talk about EMFs, well, ultimately what it stands for is electromagnetic fields or electromagnetic frequencies. Now, there's two forms of electromagnetic fields that I want to touch on and uh, distinguish, distinguish the difference. 
So one would be native electromagnetic fields, the other would be non-native electromagnetic fields. So native electromagnetic fields are, as it said, native to the planets before man was ever even on this planet. So things like the sun, the sun emits radiation, but the sun emits proportional balanced uh, forms of radiation, different spectral densities at different times of the day that is actually supportive and beneficial for us. You know, we have the Schumann resonance measured at 7.83 hertz that is emitted from the Earth. The Earth uh, naturally emits electrons. That is another native form of radiation that's beneficial for us, okay, because it's connecting us to our environment. But then we have the other flip side to the equation. We have non-native electromagnetic fields. So this is originally not native to the planet. It's been created through man-made efforts, and this is coming from cell phones, wireless radiation, cell phone towers, computers, television, uh, baby monitors, everything you can really think of falls into these categories, right? And the biggest issue with um, non-native electromagnetic fields is that our bodies do not have the ability to adapt to it because it's occurred at such a short period of of time in our evolutionary period. And we've kind of become disconnected from our natural environment by being in insulated homes, by being sunphobic, wearing sunscreen, even rare cases, people putting an umbrella over their head to block the sun because apparently it causes skin cancer and all these other phenomenons that uh, quite frankly are half truths, which I'll touch on a little bit later. But these uh, frequencies, they ultimately alter um, the function of our mitochondria and they do so in, in a variety of mechanisms. But the main um, parameter to which it has negative effects is that it causes something called calcium efflux in, into the cell. So small amounts of calcium going into the cell is a natural phenomenon. It's part of the process. But when you have unnatural amounts, excessive amounts of calcium going into the cell, it swells the cell up and it actually increases the distance between respiratory proteins within the respiratory chain in our mitochondria. And when you increase the distance between these respiratory proteins, which is measured in angstgrams, it allows uh, less efficient electron tunneling to go through the electron transport chain. And then your mitochondria subsequently produces less ATP as a result of this. Another issue with the calcium is that it increases two free radicals known as superoxide and nitric oxide. So nitric oxide has some benefits, but once again, in excess leads to some problems. And when you combine superoxide and nitric oxide together, it forms into one of the most potent mitochondrial toxins called peroxynitrates. Okay. And this leads to a lot of cellular oxidative stress on our cells. And you couple that with poor eating, uh, toxic relationships, uh, chemicals in our environment, and you have a really a recipe for disaster within the organism, and it's going to lead to a lot of negative effects for us. Another issue with electromagnetic fields is that it causes leakage in the blood-brain barrier. So the blood-brain barrier is pretty self-explanatory. It's a barrier between the bloodstream and the brain, and housed in the brain is the cerebral spinal fluid. This helps to protect toxins from coming in. Now, what it does is it basically is the equivalent of leaky gut syndrome, but it's like leaky brain syndrome. It's, it's opening up those junctions 
allowing the blood to come in and, you know, loading us with all these toxins and leading to, once again, pretty harmful effects. Um, another issue uh, with EMFs is that when we compare it to children's physiology, children have much more of a negative impact with electromagnetic fields. So for starters, when they tested the safety for EMFs, they tested on a 220 pound male. They didn't take into account other body weights, women, children, which is uh, very negligent on their part uh, with these uh, tech companies, FCC uh, governments, but it's not really surprising to me at all. Uh, and shouldn't be surprised to anyone listening, um, you know, to this podcast. But children's physiology is very different than adults in that they have thinner skulls, so the EMS can penetrate a lot uh, more efficiently into their brains. They have a higher water and uh, ion concentration, so they are more conductive to electromagnetic fields. Um, you know, they're more susceptible to to these effects that we experience. And, you know, that's why it's imperative that we protect our children and, you know, we limit their tech use. And if anything, you know, not have them use it at all, because quite frankly, they don't need it. You know, they, you don't, people think that the children need technology, that they need to watch TV, that they need an iPad and all these things because you're, you're giving it to them. You're putting it into their lap. And, you know, Jack Cruz said it perfectly, um, you know, I'm going to paraphrase him, but he said basically giving your child an iPad or a cell phone is the equivalent of taking him to a grocery store and beating the shit out of him in front of everyone, because that's ultimately what you're doing. And it's an, a socially acceptable form of child abuse, ultimately without euphemisms, because that's what it is. You know, we have to start taking into consideration the things that we're giving our children. But, you know, when you have all parents that are already taking their child to McDonald's as a form of uh, treating them, you know, which is a complete yeah. version because it's the opposite of treating them. It's harming them. Then, you know, it's not that far of a stretch to consider that um, parents will be negligent and ignorant to the effects of these frequencies that they're having on our kids. And, you know, when we look at children's physiology now, I mean, or, or sorry, their disease rates, um, you know, like one in two children are going to be born with some disease disorder, dysfunction, childhood obesity is on the rise. That diabetes for children is on the rise. These are things that were totally unheard of, say, um, you know, 50, 60 years ago. And, you know, at some point we have to look at the causal factors to these effects, because what I see happening is that people are looking at the plane of effects. Okay. They see the effect, they look at the effect, they complain about the effect and they want change coming from the plane of effects, which is not going to be as, um, as uh, beneficial as understanding the, plane of causation because if we don't know what the cause is to the effects that we experience then we're not going to be able to come to resolutions and you know tying that with like blue light you know blue light is another form of uh you know non-native emf that's causing people a lot of harm and it's emitted from our cellular devices uh any screen device you can really think of and you know just for reference um you know, we have obviously seven colors of the rainbow and blue light happens to be the, um, the highest energy output. This is why they use it um, in the tech devices. It's also the most addictive and it causes alterations in the dopamine circuits. And um, these tech companies want obedient idiots to use their technology as much as possible, feed into the social media, 
feed into um, different forms of addictions that alter their dopamine, which will impair their decision-making, their recognition of patterns, shrinks their prefrontal cortex responsible for logical thinking, so on and so forth. Um, but getting back to what I was saying, um, you know, blue light is, uh, or each way, each uh, color is um, measured in uh, something called nanometers. Okay. So blue light is between 380 to 500 nanometers. Mm -hmm. And these tech devices are a hundred percent blue light being emitted, which is devoid of the red and purple light that you would see from the sun. Okay. And that's something that we would never be exposed to. Uh, the sun is always emitting uh, 42% red near infrared light. Whereas these tech devices is just hundred percent in the blue light spectrum. So, um, Blue light's also measured in something called Kelvin, which measures the color temperature of these devices. So most devices are tuned to 5,700 to 6,500 Kelvin, which is basically mimicking um, the solar noon. Okay, so take in this scenario. You wake up first thing in the morning. You look instantly at your phone, which is at 5,700 to 6,500 Kelvin, whereas in comparison, the sun during the AM hours is roughly 1600 Kelvin. So what you're doing by looking at your phone first thing in the morning is you're telling your physiology that it's solar noon. And this causes something called phase shifting in your circadian rhythms. Circadian rhythms being the 24 hour sleep wake cycle that regulates all cellular physiology and behavior. So this is gonna cause a cascade of negative reactions and chaos in the body that isn't gonna be perceptibly felt instantaneously, but over time, it's going to lead to harmful effects. And, you know, people are not going to weigh in on the causal factors that lead to those effects. They're going to be set up into the medical cash cow mafia system. And, you know, it's going to be a, uh, you know, they're going to be set up from day one, you know, in this for-profit system. And, um, you know, blue light can cause, you know, free radical damage. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's, cause dry eyes. It uh, can even lead to um, formation of ocular melanoma, which is the fasting, fastest rising form of cancer to date. And I definitely believe there's correlations to blue light exposure and LEDs with the rise in that uh, form of a rare cancer, you know, wasn't really prevalent uh, decades ago. Um, so, you know, and then if we're talking about EMFs and we talk about blue light, we have to talk about Know, what can we do to mitigate some of these effects, right? Which is probably the most important thing. So when we look at that, we got to break things down. So with, first of all, we have to look at cell phones because cell phones is the most prevalent tech device that people are using in close proximity to their body, which is probably going to have one of the most harmful effects. So cell phones have a very high decay rate at a distance. So Distance would be obviously people's best friend in that case, and also limiting their usage of the cell phone. Um, because um, there's something called an inverse square law in physics, where if you're closer to the source of radiation, it increases the effect and magnifies those effects. So we want to increase the distance between us and those tech devices. It actually says in the owner's manual not to keep your tech device between six to eight inches from the body, which is a cardinal rule that everybody's breaking every single day. Um, you know, you have females that are putting their cell phone in their breast tissue. Can't even tell you how many cases of people that I know personally that have had breast cancer. I asked them, do you keep your phone uh, in your, in your, uh, your bra? And they're like, yeah. And 
telling them like, you know, that's a huge issue. And then yeah. you know, people that are putting in their pockets and they're getting testicular cancer and, you know, all these things. Um, but like when we look at cell phones, there's three major effects to them. There's the radiation, there's the blue light being emitted from it. And there's also the notifications. Okay. Ooh. So in terms of the radiation, um, if you're not using your phone, put it on airplane mode, keep your, uh, keep a distance away from it and turn it off. If anything, don't place it on in your pocket under any circumstance whatsoever. That includes males, get a man purse if you have to, you know, you might not look very fashionable, but you know, getting diseases and disorders and dysfunctions isn't very fashionable either. Um, you can get cell phone protection cases that use uh, silver lining and now uh, they're actually now using graphene technology. Um, which is uh, even more effective at deflecting the radiation away from the body, much like uh, light um, is deflected from a mirror. Um, and then, um, you know, there's apps on our phone that we can download that's going to help to keep us accountable on our usage. So with the Android models, there's an app called Phone Usage. And then with the Apple models, there's a app called Moment. And what this does is it tracks how often you're looking at your phone, how long you're looking at your phone, what apps you're using most, so on and so forth. So this is going to allow people to track where they're at. You know, are you using your phone eight hours a day, 10 hours a day? Are you looking at it 150 times a day, which is every six minutes, which mm -hmm. is the average that most people will use, which is pretty, uh, pretty, uh, I don't know, crazy. Insane. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so we need to take accountability for where we're at. And, you know, like I try to, I did not use my phone for more than like two hours a day. Um, you know, I use it for like business purposes, of course, but um, for the most part, I uh, try to be aware of where I'm at and then make improvements accordingly. And then uh, when we talk about blue light emitted from the phone, there's a lot of things we can do. We can purchase blue blocking glasses um, that are going to block the, the uh, synthetic artificial transmissions of blue light from hitting the central retinal pathway, causing melatonin suppression by activating a photo pigment called a photo uh, sensitive pigment melanopsin, which detects 435 to 465 nanometers within the blue light spectrum. So if we get that um, detection from melanopsin, then it's going to suppress our melatonin and upregulate cortisol. It's basically telling us it's daytime, right? So we can wear blue blocking glasses. We can use external apps that are embedded into the phone. So with like the Android, for instance, there's a, a blue light filter that's that's already built into the software. That's you cool. Can use that, but that's not enough. It's it's going to help, but it's definitely not enough. You want to also download if you have the Android uh, an app called Twilight, uh, because Twilight um, is going to help reduce um, the amount of blue light by using a red filter on it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and of course, like the best thing of all, would just be don't use your phone in the evening time if you can, right? But that's not always applicable for people. And then uh, lastly, and often underlooked is notification settings, okay, which is a huge effect on our health, especially mental health, because every time you get the ding, the chime, the red notifications on Facebook, Instagram, email, all forms of social media, you name, you name it, it actually stimulates the release of dopamine. Okay, You get this feel-good neurochemical release, and dopamine is a motivation molecule, and if it's elevated in excess – what ends up happening is it's going to significantly drop after that point of stimulation. And that's going to lead to, you know, forms of depression, anxiety, lack of motivation. Um, it could even lead to certain um, disorders as well. Um, so, you know, we need to take into account um, the notifications that we're getting. One of the simplest way to uh, 
remove that effect is to shut off notifications so that if you open Facebook, you see the notifications. If you open Instagram, you see the notifications, but you're not going to get notified that you have a new message or whatever it might be unless you open the app itself. Okay. Um, so that would kind of like sum up cell phones. Um, and then, you know, when we look at computers, there's an app called Iris, which is going to minimize the flicker effect as well as the blue light being emitted from the uh, screen. So the flicker effect is a pretty um, nefarious phenomenon that causes uh, it's basically the screen is uh, flickering on and off, on and off, you know, multiple times uh, per second. And we're not able to perceive that visually, but our mitochondria can detect that and it can lower glutathione concentrations within the mitochondria. Mitochondria through cellular respiration produces, uh, you know, redox signaling molecules, which, you know, are also associated with free radicals. And if we don't have the glutathione to mitigate that free radicals that are, um, secreted or um, you know created through a byproduct of cellular respiration then can lead to a lot more damaging effects um so you know like iris is a really good app it's like 10 bucks and um you know there's other ones called flux but flux doesn't reduce the flicker um so you know um you know i've used both but based on my experience uh i like iris a lot better uh you can bring it all the way down to zero kelvin so there'd literally be no uh blue light but the only thing though is that the back screen of your um, of any tech device is blue lit? Okay, right. companies can use red lit back screens, but they elect not to, probably because they know that red light isn't addictive the way that blue light is, right. and people probably wouldn't be using their tech devices as much as they are right now. Um, another very important thing we have to consider uh, with the radiation, and there's so many different things, so I'm going to try to cover as much as I can. The dirty electricity. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, Dirty electricity is high transient electromagnetic fields that get stored in the wiring in your home, even when there's nothing on, nothing plugged in, you name it, right? This can happen because uh, people are using uh, DC to AC inverters. Um, They are using dim switches. Uh, The power lines that are near our homes are also going to um, store all of this um, electrical energy that can be dispersed out in your home, um, you know, 10, 15 feet. And it's not just, it's not just um, what you do in your home that's affecting the readings. It's also your neighbors. So if your neighbors get more tech devices, um, whatever it might be, it actually is going to bring up the reading. And uh, the dirty electricity is measured in um, millivolts and also kilohertz. Okay. So what we can do to mitigate this is by purchasing dirty electricity filters, uh, which is using capacitors and uh, insulators, I believe, that's going to help to um, bring down that reading because anything over 50 millivolts will absorb into biological tissue. Oh, wow. There's a website, mitolife.co, where they sell uh, these dirty electricity filters. Uh, It was invented by a guy named David Stesser and Martin Graham, I believe. And um, they're the pioneers who created this technology. There's like some knockoffs that you can purchase as well, but it's always good to get from the guys who actually created the product itself. So you basically put like, depending on the size of the home, depending on where the source of the radiation, the dirty electricity is coming from, you can uh, place like two to three of them inside, um, inside the outlets. And it will usually bring the uh, reading down to less than 50 millivolts. Um, so that's also very important because if you're sleeping and 
you're being exposed to all this dirty electricity coming through the walls, even if you don't have anything plugged in, it's going to alter your sleep. Um, and, you know, it's going to affect um, apoptosis and autophagy, which is basically um, programmed cell death and cell recycling. It's very important when we're sleeping so that we ultimately regenerate. Uh, another thing to consider is Wi-Fi. Okay, so Wi-Fi, there's no need for it to be on at night if you have Wi-Fi. So just turn off the router. It's like one of the most simplistic things that people can do. Another thing people can do is they can get a Ethernet um, cable and connect it to the outlet. So their, their source of radiation is being more localized rather than uh, the Wi-Fi being dispersed in all directions, um, you know, dozens and dozens of feet and, you know, causing a lot of issues. So this is all going on on a cellular level. Like what are some things that people might be struggling with that they sort of, you know, think is maybe caused by diet? So for example, I feel like kind of tired sometimes and in my head, I'm like, oh, got to switch up what I'm eating. But actually it's probably as a result of all of this Wi-Fi, EMF, blue light. So what do you think are some like common symptoms people might be having that are actually probably more as a result of their environment than say like food related stuff? Though both are equally important. We can't just eat like crap and, you know, live in this yeah. really great environment. What do you think are some of those symptoms people might be there's, there's, a, there's a lot, um, you know, anywhere from headaches, migraines, ringing in the ears, lethargia, mood disorders, um, aggressive behavior, um, depression, anxiety, pain, stiffness. There's so many different factors uh, and symptoms that are affected by the EMS that not a lot of people take into account. Um, and, you know, a lot of the evidence now is so conclusive, you know, that there's nothing that really people can say other than, you know, spouting out mainstream media sound bites or their own level of ignorance based on their uninformed opinions that they have, uh, which uh, takes credence to pretty much zero amounts of research that they've actually done. But, you know, everyone wants to have an opinion. We're all entitled to it, right? Mm -hmm. But you can be entitled to an opinion, but it doesn't mean your opinion's valid. And that's something that's very important. Um, so there was recently a um, U.S. Nat natural, U.S. National Toxicology Program conducted a $30 million uh, study that spanned over 10 years on the effects of wireless radiation. What they found through these testings is that there was conclusive evidence of cancer. Okay. Wow. And uh, it wasn't just like any forms of cancer. It was like rare forms of cancer, including like heart cancers, because you often hear about heart disease, which is mm -hmm. leading cause of death. But very rarely do you hear about heart cancers, right? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the World Health Organization in 2011, based on the research done on the International Agency uh, for Research on Cancer, found that, uh, you know, well, they classified uh, the World Health, World Health Organization, the uh, wireless radiation as a class 2B carcinogen, okay, meaning that it's possibly carcinogenic, which in my estimation, I think is a euphemism, mm -hmm. uh, liability on their part from them classifying as a class 1A, which would be a, uh, you know, definitive carcinogen, right? Um, so, you know, there's so, there's so much evidence coming out now um, with a lot of independent testing on the effects of wireless radiation, radiation of all kinds. And, um, you know, we got, we got to start, um, you know, speaking out on this and empowering people with knowledge, having them apply that knowledge, and then ultimately sharing that knowledge with other people so that we can, um, hopefully turn the tide with, uh, with these issues, because if, uh, if we don't, you know, things are going to get progressively worse, especially with 5g, you know, looming around the corner. Will you speak a little bit about 5g? <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, there's, there's 1g, 2g, 3g, 4g, now 
soon is going to be 5G, uh, which stands for fifth generation. So, um, you know, 4G was was around like four gigahertz, uh, and a gigahertz is a, a billionth of a hertz, whereas 5G can range from 24 to 100 gigahertz. So it's a pretty huge jump in bandwidth. Yeah. That they're using. Uh, so they're using millimeter waves. Uh, the problem with millimeter waves is that it works in short distances. So what they have to do to compensate with that is that they have to build 5G towers across all neighborhoods um, at very um, close proximity. So we're going to be doused with even more radiation at closer proximities, leading to more effects uh, that we ultimately are not going to want. Right. So, um, you know, we have we have to really start to, I guess, uh, you know, empower people with uh, this information. And, you know, because like it's it's already it's already out 5G. They're just like installing all the, you know, the towers to kind of anchor it in. Uh, But it's kind of been around for a couple of years now. And you know, there's some 5G cities that have been operational and it's, it's the internet of everything. It's going to connect like everything together. Like your, your phone will be connected to your, you know, washing machine and your uh, dishwasher, uh, your lights, you know, it's, it's really feeding into um, um, modern convenience at the highest level for people, mm-hmm. which definitely promotes uh, laziness and um, pretty much puts us into bondage in forms of slavery because they're going to be able to track every single thing that you do. Mm-hmm. Have these like, uh, uh, you know, Amazon Echo and you know, these devices now that uh, people are using. And, you know, if it was just, the, you know, they, them purchasing it and them being affected by it, I'd say, you know what? Do you have fun? Mm-hmm. But that's not the case because every time that someone purchases these devices, what they're doing is they're putting you and I into bondage, into slavery, because they're having more easy. These companies are having a lot more uh, accessibility to manipulate us, to manipulate our psychology based on understanding our whims and preferences through the data collections that they, um, you know, acquire. Mm-hmm. They they know everything about you. They know how you tick and they use that a power differential knowledge against you. They're the ultimate wielders of psychology. And, um, you know, they're going to know everything that you're doing. And that could lead to a lot of problems because that's an infringement of privacy. And they're going to be one step ahead of us. And it's going to be very problematic. So I have a very big issue with people, um, you know, for lack of a better, a better term, obedient idiots they are that end up purchasing these, uh, these stupid devices because they're far from smart. Yeah. And like even uh, myself, even with our phones too, right? Like I'll be talking about blue blockers and then I, you know, I open up my phone. I've got ads for blue blockers. I get that all the time. Uh, I did an experiment with a friend where we um, were talking about like, you know, just going to Vancouver or something. And then uh, we were scrolling through Instagram and you know how like in between stories they have ads now. And then we ended up seeing an ad uh, on a flight going to Vancouver. So yeah, they're definitely listening and listening in, and it's, it's very creepy. Uh, it's it's uh, very infringing, and um, you know, you know, Facebook's been caught, you know, selling people's data to um, different agencies so that they can pretty much sell us more um, devices and things that we like, uh, you know, and really just manipulate people. And you know, at some point we really have to start even questioning whether we should even be using Facebook and Instagram and 
potentially using alternative decentralized um, social media platforms. And I know there's some like cryptocurrency based platforms that exist now, like um, uh, Mind and um, uh, there's another one, I forget the name, but um, the problem with them is that they're very poorly designed. Mm. You know what I mean? They can't really compete to the level that Facebook and Instagram is at, which is going to factor into people choosing to use these devices, right? So, or start cho- choosing to use these platforms. So, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a, an engineer, internet engineer of sorts, but um, they definitely need to make something um, more appealing to people because, you know, we're really signing up for, the exploitation from Facebook through manufactured consent. And, you know, Facebook owns you, it owns the digital version of you, you know, it has all your rights, everything that you post, uh, you know, story, uh, written post, everything, they own all those rights, man. They own the digital you, you know, and it's, it's, it's pretty uh, messed up when you really think about it, where human beings are almost like um, bits of data that are moving across a circuit board called a city and our energy is being siphoned mm-hmm. through, you know, spiritual, emotional, mental, and physical means for nefarious, malintended purposes. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at the, a common city and then you look at a mother switchboard, it's literally microcosm and macrocosm. You see, they look exactly the same. We're literally living in this like computer simulation mm-hmm. through this augmented reality that you and I are ultimately speaking on right now mm-hmm. and connecting us from the natural world. And, you know, the, the data that we collect is only going to be as valid as, as uh, our level of perception, what we can ultimately sense. And a lot of people's ability to perceive things is being tainted down by you know, educational systems, religion, mainstream media, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the uh, social media, fake news, this uh, mm. warrior movement, all these things. And, you know, it's, it's leading us down a very uh, dark hole, so to speak. But, you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel. It's not all doom and gloom. And you know, we just got to continue to press and, um, you know, fight for our rights and liberties before they're all taken away. And we end up, uh, you know, fenced and cornered without even knowing how we got there. Yeah, I agree. And my friend and I talk about this all the time. Like, that's why having like a practice of consciousness is super important. You can call it yoga, meditation. You know, I was thinking actually before we came on, you know, how you do, I know you do like a lot of cold plunging and how, you know, like that is a practice that teaches you, you know, equanimity. You're sitting there in this probably, I mean, it's not comfortable to be in that freezing cold lake, but you know, you're focusing on your breath. You're coming back to yourself. You're connecting with nature, all of that stuff. And I think so many people, like you said, are disconnected from our true nature, you know, and we're just engaging on these very, it's normal, you know, technology is great and there's a purpose, but it's like, we need to use technology, not have technology use us. And I feel like just to echo what you were saying on, you know, Facebook, it's like now they're also moderating and deleting comments that don't align with what they, you know, with what's politically correct or what they want people to see. And all of these, you know, different ads and different, you know, like popular stuff that you're seeing isn't necessarily like what's, um, what's true. It's not the truth. You know, it's their version of the truth. It's some spin on the truth. It's like mainstream media is now seeping into Facebook. It's popping up on your feed. And we think that's the news. We think that's what's like really going on, but it's not, it's what they're, you know, letting us see which is super problematic. And even when people are trying to speak out on certain issues, I'm in like a few um, like closed moms groups that are like hippie moms, you know, and the amount of people who are like, I just posted this thing and it got taken down. Like they're trying to share this information and Facebook's like, no, (laughs) 
and it's yep. just getting shut down. You know, it's in it for your best interest. Well, from a psychological standpoint, this whole censorship is basically mommy daddy syndrome. This is what it is, point blank, getting to the root of the issue. Mommy daddy syndrome. Mommy, daddy, Facebook, Instagram, internet. I don't like this view or what this person's talking about. I can't control my emotions. I'm not responsible for them. They're offending me. Please exercise your rights to revoke this person from having their own rights to speak about issues because I can't have any self-internalized control to ignore it, to store it, or to, you know, maybe talk against it and be passionate about the antithesis of what they're stating, right? It's mommy-daddy syndrome. That's what it's all boiled down to. Mommy and daddy taking care of you. It's a child infancy-like mindset. That's what it comes down to ultimately. And the people that, uh, that are condoning the censorship and net neutrality, they're condoning the censorship of their own voice because, you know, it starts with certain things that you don't like to hear, but eventually it's going gonna, it's gonna to come down to things that you want to hear. Mm-hmm. And now you're not going to be able to hear it and then now you're going to complain before, it's, you know, and it's going to be too late. You know, the problem is that people think that these tech companies, these social media conglomerates have our best interests at heart. You know, they want to shelter us and coddle us to what th- their variant is of what's acceptable and what isn't acceptable. And as soon as you narrow the spectrum of acceptable conversations within a given populace, you have them by the balls, you have them by the balls, and you are going to more easily manipulate and control them with ease, with absolute ease, because those narrowed spectrums of conversations, they make it very lively, the debates within that spectrum. But there's this whole other avenue of things that we need to look at beyond that narrow spectrum. So you can't really state that you're woken that you're aware, that you're conscious, you haven't looked into any of those things. It's like, you know, someone, uh, you mentioned something to somebody about a particular topic and, uh, you know, let's talk about like, for instance, like natural law. Okay. So you talk about natural law, the, the objective morality that the universe upholds that is independent of what man says that it is right. Based on jurisdiction, based on preference. And you, you mentioned that to them and like, no, you know, like, Morality is subjective. It's about what, you know, what human beings want. You know, we're the arbiters of truth. We're God. We get to decide, right? So I ask, you know, well, uh, hey, uh, you listen to Mark Apasio's eight-hour presentation on natural law? They'll be like, no. Like, have you read any books on natural law? They'll be like, uh, no, I actually haven't. Like, have you listened to any podcasts on natural law? Like, no. Do you understand the working definition of what natural law means? Like, mm, no. But uh, my uninformed opinion, right, that has no premise uh no validity zero percent research is 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 weighed in and factored in onto the same level as someone who's done uh, research on this topic their entire lives that's the issue with people man they think they know everything because of their ego and they they don't want to like look at things um that are going to bring about cognitive dissonance you know they look at things that are that that are going to confirm their their confirmation biases you know things that make them feel good to delude them into this um, reality that ultimately probably doesn't even exist because it's just based on your subjective opinion. But just like, you know, last note with like the censorship, like, you know, a lot of it's uh, geared towards like hate speech, right? Mm-hmm. You can't have hate speech, right? Now, let me, let me ask, uh, you know, your audience, like, what's wrong with hate speech? Are you telling me that I can't hate things? So, so I can't hate Nazi Germany 
and Hitler for what he did to, you know, millions of people. I can't hate the KKK and their white supremacy and what they did to, you know, the blacks. I can hate them. I can speak in hate towards these organizations, these institutions, whatever it might be. Hate speech isn't the problem. You know, people are entitled to speak about things that they choose to, so long as we have the platform to be able to do that. And, you know, like I said, if you don't like the information, ask yourself why that is. What is it that it's triggering within your emotional compass where it's bothering you so much that you're completely wanting to not only avoid it, um, you know, individually, but you want it completely erased off the face of this earth, off the face of the digital realm. You know, that is a, a psychological disorder, being easily offended, right? Because what you're doing is you're abdicating your responsibility for how you feel and you're putting it on other people and saying, no, this is my bag. You carry it. I'm not responsible. You are. You did this to me. You know, no, I didn't do this to you. I might have triggered something that already pre-exists in you, some form of emotional program, but you did it to yourself, man. You chose, you choose how to react to certain stimulus on a day-to-day basis. Nobody's doing anything to you. That was an amazing rant. No, I agree. I think it's like there's just this level, this like lack of self-inquiry that we do into the things that make us uncomfortable, you know, and this is where I kind of bring it back to, again, call it yoga, consciousness, whatever. Have a daily practice of self-inquiry. And I always say like, yoga is everywhere. That sounds kind of fluffy, but I don't mean it to be fluffy. I mean it to be like everything that happens in your life. Any, you know, uncomfortable situation interaction is an opportunity to reflect and be like, hmm, why do I feel this way? Am I, you know, we're all attached to feeling really good and we all have this like aversion to feeling bad. And it's like, if we could just take a second and tune back into ourselves, like, why is this making me feel uncomfortable? Like, I think it's something that's been super powerful for me. I think I used to be one of those SJ dubs, you know, who was like waving the flag. And then I was like, no, actually other people are not responsible for my feelings. What is this? What is making me feel this way about it? You know, and then tuning in and doing that inner work. And then it's also, it's also freeing, you know, you just like, Ah, oh, no one's carrying your bags. You can take responsibility for your emotions. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it really comes down to being ignorant about things. Um, and you know, you ask like, there's there's ignorance that's uh, ubiquitous in our society. And you know, why is that? Like, what's the root? Like, where is it coming from? Mm-hmm. And you know, um, based on the research I've done, I've kind of come to an understanding that people are willfully ignorant because they fear personal responsibility based on the information that they get presented. That's going to lead to guilt because they may have not been doing something to offset the information, um, you know, that that was given to them. And then, you know, they they're like that because they're self-loathing. Right. They don't respect themselves. You know, someone that doesn't want to take responsibility can't truly respect themselves. Mm -hmm. They're in a self-loathing mind frame. Mm -hmm. And I think ultimately what all of this stems from is is abandonment issues. You know, stemming from the formative years of our existence, zero to seven, where we are induced with all forms of childhood trauma, childhood trauma from even before we're uh, born. You know, you know, the things that our our parents do and then waking up or being born in a hospital, it's totally unnatural and Mm -hmm. unnecessary. And they kind of sold us, socially engineered us into believing that that's something that we need. And then, you know, like you have a poor parenting and, you know, parents fighting with one another. Uh, mm-hmm. There's physical abandonment. There could be emotional abandonment mm-hmm. where it's okay. They're there, but they're, they're not there emotionally. They're, they're just totally absent because they're working nine to five, 40 plus hours a week and then some, and they're just, they're, you know, they put you into the school system, you know, during the first 
you know, during the, the time where you should be spending the, the most time with your parents, right. And learning from them, moral value systems. And instead they're feeding you into the uh, educational system. That's now teaching some very crazy stuff. Honestly, as like a, a mom, my kid, she's a year and a half and thinking about like, Oh my gosh, like, what are we going to do? You know, uh, private school in Toronto is extraordinarily expensive. I don't know what this situation is with, you know, what their curriculum is, but I'm so much leaning more toward exactly what you're saying, like being present with her and having me raise her and me be the person who's helping to form her, not just handing her off to some other person so that I can go work for eight hours a day and really just make the money that I'm going to spend on daycare because it's like, it's like a mortgage basically to put your kid in daycare in Toronto, that is. But it's hard, yeah, like being a conscious parent. How do you bring up a conscious kid in this world when they're like subjected to all of these, you know, these viewpoints? And it's everywhere. They're going to be, you know, they're going to engage with it, whether it's on social media, because they'll probably, you know, they're going to be on social media. Kids are on social media these days, by the way, at like eight. Can you imagine? I feel like Facebook came out when we were in high school. And even then, that's still like so much of our, you know, life has been around Facebook and Instagram and stuff. But kids from the day they're born, like they have this technology, you know, and it's really, really terrifying to think about how we're going to, you know, raise them. And I actually just wanted to go back to one thing you said about this idea of like discomfort and people and it all stemming from, you know, childhood stuff and wanting things censored. It's like, it's so much easier to externalize the blame and take responsibility, you know, to be like, this guy said something and like, it's offensive. It's so much easier to say that than to be like, to do the deep, painful, like transformation and spiritual work is not comfortable. Sorry, people. One of my like missions is to sort of teach people like yoga is not all, um, Shanti Namaste, like let's melt our body into the mat. Truly yoga is a quite painful spiritual transformation. Like when you do the deep work of again, whatever your practice is, it's really uncomfortable. And a lot of people aren't willing to do that work. And that's fine. Maybe you'll get there at some point. But if you really want to make some shift, if you want to like break through those limiting beliefs, like it's really effing uncomfortable. Yeah, it isn't an easy, fluffy, uh, love and light process. Uh, you got to look at the dark shadow material that's embedded within you and you got to look at it and it's not easy. And, you know, like to touch on what you were saying with, you know, kids using like tech devices at such young ages now, it's like, equivalent to like electronic babysitting, right? Mm-hmm. It, I, see, I see it. Um, I, I go out sometimes, you know, restaurants, stuff like that. And I see it, um, you know, kids just on the tech device and totally zombified. And, you know, and I look, you know what I do? I don't look into the kid's eyes. I look into the parent's eyes. You know what I see? I see someone that's totally checked out. They don't have any development of present moment awareness. They're totally, their headspace is, is somewhere else. They're, you know, they, they could be in another realm, you know, for, for lack of a better term, because um, these people, I think uh, they just want to get kids because they're told to, you mm-hmm. know, get married at a certain age, have a couple kids, you know, American dream, right? And they come to realize that's more of American nightmare, right? Mm-hmm. And they do not know how to parent, probably never read any books on it. Mm-hmm. They, um, they don't know what the hell they're doing. They really don't. You know what I mean? And, Oftentimes I see people like, it's like, oh, you don't have a right to question my, my uh, parenting. Like, do you have a child? And this and that. And it's like, um, well, first of all, I don't have a child. But second of all, I do have a right because you're affecting the upcoming generation based on your behaviors that are negligible, that are not conducive to healthy living mm-hmm. in terms of a healthy mind frame, a healthy body, a healthy spirit. And then that's going to affect the aggregate of what we inevitably grow into as we get older mm-hmm. that they're going to take hold of when they get to the age where, you know, they're able to do working jobs and, you know, think more critically, at least I hope think critically at all. 
Uh, so yeah, you know, if it was just you doing your own thing and we, you were segregated from the rest of the population and the rest of society, mm-hmm. by all means, do whatever the hell you want to do. Mm-hmm. You're not. We're all connected to this one energy source, one collective hive mind. Mm-hmm. So what you do to one, you do to all. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and if you do something, I'm calling you out on it, right? There's a difference between name calling and calling somebody out. Okay. Mm-hmm. Name calling would be, you know, being very derogatory and, you know, trying to make, hurt, the peeling, hurt, hurt the person's feeling deliberately uh, for your own um, gratif- gratifying purposes. But, you know, calling people out is, is not to hurt their feelings per se, even if, even if that does happen and I'm not responsible for that. It's to disturb their conformity. It's mm-hmm. to make them develop some intellectual curiosity to make them think and reevaluate about what they're doing, to become better individuals, mm-hmm. adopt better value systems. Because if our value systems in life are oriented around self-harm and we're revered by all these other self-harm doers, going to McDonald's, drinking, um, gossiping, all these things, right? Then, you know, we end up thinking that the general consensus is, is, a, is in alignment with normalcy. You know, mm-hmm. it's far from normal to be in a destructive state of mind, perform destructive behaviors, and then invert that like they have through the social engineering to say that that's normal and that's cool and that's hip. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's sick, dude. You know, like that's so cool, right? It's like, no, it's not. You know, nothing more um, uncool than losing your biological instincts to take care of yourself because that's like the one of the most basic necessities of self-preservation that any organism has. You know, you don't see squirrels and bears like committing harm to themselves. You don't see even a dog that's just gonna be like, I'm just gonna like start harming myself. Like, like right. you know, they, they know better. They have better instincts than that. And human beings have lost their instincts because, well, we're connected, we're disconnected rather from the environment. Mm-hmm. We're not grounded. We're insulated in homes. We don't get enough sunlight. Uh, we're exposed to all this artificial light, all this non-native electromagnetic fields, and we end up um, totally um, devaluing some of our core principles that. Um, to be taught to us. <laughs> that was a brief intermission with Sats. I had to do my momly duty, but I really liked what Sean was saying, so I didn't want to fully edit that out. Um, but without further ado, back to the interview. Yeah, so um, there's a couple of things off the top of my head I wanted to touch on about how we can help with uh, the electromagnetic fields. Is um, We can purchase something called a magnetical sleep pad, which is like a unipolar uh, magnetic pad that you place underneath your mattress. And, you know, it's, you know, our uh, bloodstream is made from hemoglobin, which is bound to iron. And um, obviously it's, you know, conductive. So when we're sitting or sleeping on this um, mat, we end up, um, you know, increasing circulation, chelating more heavy metals. And um, it can be really beneficial to um, to, to kind of help offset some of the um, unnatural living conditions that we're exposed to, especially because like, Historically speaking, we, we would sleep grounded mm-hmm. to the electromagnetic flux of the earth. But nowadays, that isn't always feasible. Uh, there are grounding mats, but um, or grounding sheets, rather. But they can actually be potentially more harmful than beneficial because um, of all the electricity that gets placed into the ground and discharged. Mm. It could uh, go into the, through the wiring uh, onto your bed. It can make you uh, more conductive to the EMFs that are even in your home. Um, you know, like the dirty electricity and stuff like that. So oftentimes it could be problematic. Like that doesn't mean that grounding isn't beneficial. Like if you're at a beach or um, 
you, um, you know, like you're just in your backyard or something like that, but you just got to be cognizant of that, especially with like 5g and like jump conduction and Mm -hmm. all these new phenomenons that we're exposed to. And then, you know, also like just connect back to nature, right. You know, get sun exposure. Um, first thing in the morning is very important to set our circadian rhythms. The first light you want to see is the sunlight, uh, during the AM hours. And that's going to activate over eight hormones from the pituitary glands, stimulate the suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is our master clock regulator. It's then going to relay messages to all the clock genes in the periphery. Um, obviously getting, um, sun and solar noon is very important too for vitamin D. And then, um, you know, we want to watch sunset too. And then after the sunset, you put on the blue blocking glasses that will help to regulate your circadian rhythms so that you're in tune with your environment and, um, you know, not being so affected by the, you know, unnatural conditions that inevitably we're going to be exposed to one way or another, unless you're living off the grid, which is not very practical for most people. Red light therapy devices are also um, very beneficial for people because people are working endless amounts of hours indoors, even during the summertime, they might not get access to, you know, the, the amounts of sun that they need. Mm-hmm. When you use red and near infrared light therapy devices that is using monochromatic spectral densities of light that are the most biologically active for the human organism, that can really help to help us supplement with what we're missing from the sun. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's not a complete replacement, but it can be very beneficial. And in some cases, it can even be um, better for certain uh, effects, like for instance, hair restoration, you know, near infrared light in particular, 830 nanometers is really good for improving um, hair follicle growth by stimulating the epidermal stem cells to shift from a telogen phase, which is a dormant phase, to an antigen phase, which is a growth phase. And that could, you know, if you lose your hair, um, you could still have, the, the follicle could still be intact for three to five years, but it's in a dormant phase. But the light that you uh, project it towards will help to, um kind of reawaken it. Um, and you know, like my brother personally, he was losing his hair. He's had some really good success, um, you know, using photobiomodulation therapy with red and near-infrared light. Um, also for skin rejuvenation, you know, obviously if you're out in the sun too much, it can lead to some issues with the skin, um, as shown in the research, but using red and near-infrared light in combination can increase collagen and elastin synthesis, reduce fine lines and wrinkles, um, and it can help to kind of rejuvenate the, um, the skin quality. If we're looking at like energy production, when you're exposed to red and near infrared light, the fourth enzyme in the respiratory chain called cytochrome C oxidase, it's bound to nitrogen. When it's exposed to the red light, it gets unbound. The nitrogen helps to increase the circulation and thereby increases energy production at a cellular level. So, you know, like there's so many cases where people are using these devices that, um, you know, they have a lot of, um, you know, good effects. And, um, you know, me and my friend are selling these devices. We, uh, use, we have like a couple of devices. So I'll, I'll kind of run them down uh, very briefly. Mm-hmm. So one of them is called the FireWave, which is going to emit 50% red light and 50% near infrared light using 630 nanometers, 670 nanometers and, and 830 nanometers. Okay, and these have been found to be the three most biologically active wavelengths of light. Um, and this device would be more geared towards 
skin issues because red light has a depth per, uh, perception or penetration rather that goes uh, roughly around the skin area and below it. Whereas like near infrared light can penetrate a lot deeper, right? So that's why we have another unit called the IR wave, which is emitting 100% near infrared light, 830 nanometers and 850 nanometers. And, you know, near infrared light has been shown to be beneficial for muscle, bone issues, hair restoration. So it goes a little bit deeper. Um, so depending on what, what a person's looking for would equate to which device they would want to purchase. Then lastly, we have uh, another device that we just recently came out with called the Firestorm, which is basically the equivalent of five fire waves, the 1060 watts. And it has five wavelengths. So 630 nanometers, 660, 670, 830 and 850 nanometers. Oh, wow. And the great thing about using a device like that is that you can use it sitting down. You can treat two people at the same time and you can use it at a far enough distance where you're outside the electromagnetic field zone oh. that causes, um, you know, damage to the mitochondria if you're too mm-hmm. close to the device. Um, also, our device have been uh, measured uh, very low in EMF. As long as you treat five inches distance and, uh, and um, you know, above that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the thing uh, that it can be harmful when using photobiomodulation is the flicker effect. Mm-hmm. So the, one of the leading U.S. companies has like over 50% flicker for their devices, whereas ours w- was measured at 3.2%. So wow. that's just one uh, facet that we try to eliminate to make it more, um, more just a more enjoyable experience for people because uh, a lot of the devices are geared towards standing up for like 10, 15, 20 minutes at a time. Mm-hmm. You know, imagine like an elderly person trying to stand up for that yeah. long or someone with arthritis um, or different, uh, you know, conditions. So try to make it user-friendly and comfortable for people. Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much the gist of, uh, of the devices. We also sell blue blocking glasses too. We've got a new shipment coming in in a couple of weeks and uh, they block all the harmful frequencies uh, spanning from blue, green, violet, which are the short wavelengths of light. It has an anti-reflective coating. So it, it kind of deflects the light away from the, uh, the lenses. And, um, and yeah, I think that's pretty much it regarding that. Yeah. Um, I'll definitely put the link to your website and all the stuff in the, like the show notes and stuff. So I do have a question about blue blockers and I was going to ask you this. I know that there's ones that you can wear like during the day and there's ones that are like special for the night. And then I've seen some that are like only if you're in an office in front of a computer, like what would you say? And and I know that like the best thing to do would be get ones that are for the day and for the night. Um, what is your recommendation? Like if someone's just starting, they're like, Oh shit, I really want to, you know, reduce my, uh, blue light consumption. What's like the best place to start? Would you say? Yeah. I mean, if you had to prioritize the two, it'd be better to get blue blockers for the evening time. Okay. Um, because, you know, if you're chronically lowering your melatonin and upregulating cortisol, you know, that's going to impair, you know, your fluctuations of hormones. Melatonin is um, an anti-estrogenic hormone, helps to detox estrogens, helps to increase mitophagy, uh, which is cell recycle in the mitochondria. Um, so it's, it's probably the, um, one of the more important things, but nevertheless, like, you know, I look at things like going all the way, right. And not like uh, doing things like, you know, halfway. So 
you know, if you're going to look towards uh, blue blocking glasses during the daytime, you just want to make sure that it blocks between 400 to 450 nanometers. Mm -hmm. uh, make sure it's verified with a spectrometer and not just uh, company making claims. You know, check their website if they have third-party testing that shows exactly what wavelengths are being blocked, mm -hmm. what percentages, uh, because they are the largest spikes that have the most harmful effects, mm -hmm. especially terra retina during the daytime if we're looking at tech screens and stuff like that, right. it's between that 400 to 450 spectrum. And then in the evening time, you just want to block between 380 to 550 nanometers. So visually what that would look like is uh, you would have yellow tinted glasses during the daytime. Mm -hmm. and then you have red tinted glasses during the evening time. But you want to also want to make sure that, you know, if you're outside, you don't need to be wearing blue blocking glasses, mm -hmm. right? Unless it's the evening time, right? Um, but, you know, you want to get access to, to sunlight through the mm -hmm. naked eye. You know, yeah. sunglasses are another huge issue for people too because it's blocking the natural transmissions of light through the central retinal pathway and distorting them. And then you end up blocking UV light from hitting the eyes, but then you're getting UV light on the skin. Mm -hmm. Like that's going to cause issues for people. Right. And it, it uh, like weakens your eyes. Like you, you need UV light to produce dopamine as well. Mm -hmm. So if you're wearing um, sunglasses and you're not going to be able to produce that dopamine mm -hmm. and, you know, people that end up taking off those sunglasses and they look, you know, not, you don't have to look towards the sun, but, you know, they're getting exposed to the sun, their eyes get watery. Um, you know, that's, that's, because, it's, that's because the uh, cornea is, is um, cooling its surface so it, it can absorb more of the UV light because mm -hmm. cool surfaces and wet surfaces are able to, to do that. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like one of those adaptations, but ultimately over time, you're going to adjust and get used to it just as much as, just as much as you adjusted to wearing them. Mm -hmm. Right. Because if you were never introduced to sunglasses and you were exposed to the sun, like we should be, then you wouldn't have any issues with that. So, you know, you can like inter intermittently wear them, you know, then mm -hmm. beginning, take them off periodically and just kind of wean yourself off of it. It's mm -hmm. kind of like weaning off of a drug because in a way they kind of are one. Yeah. And then I have one last question. So I, uh, so I've started waking up cause I heard again, Jack Cruz was like, wake up with the sunrise, see the sunrise first thing all about, you know, dopamine also getting back into rhythm with nature, living in harmony with circadian rhythm. That's a big thing in Ayurveda also. Um, Ayurveda talks a lot about waking up at Brahma Muhurta, which is like before the sun rises, it's this like auspicious calm time. And then, you know, now this new research is showing, you know, you want to look at the sunrise, but I also know that the window blocks some of the good light. So I live in an apartment and I don't have a balcony and I have a baby, as you know. And so I can't just wake up and then like leave her and like go outside. Yeah. So one of the suggestions of this pretty great Ayurvedic doctor, he says, wake up in the morning. And if you can't see the sunrise, look at a flame, like light a candle and look at a flame. Do you, what do you think about that? Like, do you think that's an okay, like biohack or? Yeah, it's like, it's, it's, it's decent. Um, obviously you can't really replace the effects of the sun, but mm -hmm. predominantly, you know, in the morning time, the sun's going to be balanced with like red, blue, and green. Um, and then, um, you know, like obviously if you look at the sun, like it's the sky is more red. So like, I just like, if I can't get access to the sun, um, then I'll just use like the firewave device that I have. That's emitting the red and near infrared light. Mm -hmm. I might light up a candle, uh, or a heat basking bulb. Um, you know, that could be like something you can use to augment that, but, um, you could even potentially just wear blue blocking glasses, go outside, 
to prevent like any light transmissions from hitting the retina. And then when you get outside, look at the sun for like three to five minutes or mm -hmm. 30 seconds. But, um, you know, you, you want to like try to get something right, but you got to do the best you can. You know, like people try to paint this like one size fits all cookie cutter, um, approach and it doesn't always uh, end up being very practical for people. Um, you know, so just try to set the best of intentions for yourself and, you know, make room in your life so that you can end up seeing the sun, you know, um, endlessly and without any um, roadblocks, so to speak. Right. Mm -hmm. Setting intentions of things is, is very important, um, you know, in my estimation and my experiences, because we're not aware of like, what we want to set forth in our life for the future, then oftentimes it's not going to really manifest mm -hmm. and we're going to keep, you know, running down the, the hamster wheel endlessly, so to speak. Totally. And I think too, like taking it on, um, as like a, I don't want to say journey, but like a practice, you know, don't try and do all of the things all at once and buy all the fire waves and all the blue light glasses and get outside of nature. One of the best things to say in Ayurveda is nature doesn't do anything in extremes. So we shouldn't, we shouldn't act in extremes. We should act easily, you know, take on one new thing, take on one new thing. And over time, I'm sure when you started learning about this, you weren't just like doing all the things like you're probably, you took on one thing. I have actually though, but um, <laughs> it ended up uh, being a downfall for me because you, uh, there's certain levels of uh, adaptive energy that you have in terms of stress in your environment, mm -hmm. both internally and externally. And, you know, if you've been living in a chronic stress state without even knowing it perceptively for such a long time, then you start to tackle on, and apply all these different teachings that you might've learned in this podcast or another podcast, whatever it might be, mm -hmm. you know, you're going to more than likely sabotage yourself and revert back to old patterns. So just like tread lightly, start slow. Best, best advice I can give for people is see the sunrise, wake up to the sunrise, watch the sunrise 15 degrees below it. Don't look directly at it for, um, you know, at least 30 seconds, the longer, the better, like three to 10 minutes maybe. And then, um, you know, block artificial light in the evening time. And then, you know, you kind of go from there and then maybe you add in more grounding or you, you know, get her a photobiomodulation device or you go hiking more, you do some cold therapy, you hop in an infrared sauna, you start cleaning up your diet a bit more, eating more uh, seasonally, locally, you know, so there's a lot of things that people can do, but at the end of the day, you got to start somewhere. You got to start doing something different than what you're doing right now because what you're doing right now for anyone listening and that, you know, maybe you're not feeling the best, uh, maybe you're not even looking the best aesthetically, at least perceptually in your eyes. You know, if you continue to do the same thing, you know, you're not going to get any better. It's just going to continue to pitfall you down into this uh, never ending roller coaster spin. And, you know, more than likely, you're just going to end up vomiting all this mainstream media uh, regurgitated um, BS, so to speak, and um, falling victim to their hands and then just being another casualty, another statistic to the system. Mm -hmm. All right. I feel like that was so much information. Thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom. And I know that you've got so much more. I feel like I even have more to ask you, but I guess that's for another time. But as you know, my tiny, human, me, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my tiny human has arisen. Gotta do the mom duties. Um, okay. So for people listening, I'd love for you to tell them where they can find you. I'll obviously include everything in like the show notes, but where can they find you on the social medias? Because yes, even though, you know, social media can be woohoo, but it's a part of life, you know, so where can they find you? Yeah, sure. So I have a Facebook page, Photoelectric Synergy, where you can find a lot of my work. I post a lot of stuff on there. Also, I have an Instagram handler account at Sean Weldman, S-H-A-W-N-W-E-L-D-M-A-N. 
Um, if you're interested in purchasing some of our products, you can just click the link in my bio on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, go to the product section. There'll be more information on that. And uh, you can use the discount code SYNERGY for 10% off all things EMR, which is the company that I work for. Um, YouTube, I also have a channel. I'm not as uh, proactive on it, but um, definitely going to be sometime in the future. Photoelectric Synergy once again. And I think, uh, yeah, I plugged myself enough. I think that's pretty much it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And you do, you do work like you're an Emmanuel osteopath. So you work at a clinic in Richmond Hill, right? Yeah. So I work uh, at a float clinic in Vaughan, Ontario. Mm -hmm. Anyone's ever uh, heard about floats, never checked it out. uh, Highly recommend you do so. Float therapy is phenomenal. Decreases stress hormones. Um, It can help to, um, increased sensory awareness within yourself. Um, you know, it's like meditation on steroids. So like super beneficial. Um, yeah, so I'm working there, manual osteopath didn't really touch on it. Best, um, sum up I can give on it. It's like similar to chiropractors in the sense, uh, but we have more of a holistic approach where they have more of an allopathic approach. They work on like certain segments. They don't really look at the whole and we look at the entire whole, all systems. So, uh, yeah, you know, if you're ever interested, you know, shoot me a message. If you're in the area, check me out and, uh, you know, I'll try to help you out the best I can. All right. Okay. My human is knocking at the door, <laughs> so I'll let you go. But John, honestly, thank you so much. You're amazing. And I feel like we should do this again because I like chatting with you. Awesome. Yeah, definitely up for it. All right. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Sean. He is a wealth of knowledge and he's really a tell it like it is kind of guy, not trying to sugarcoat anything. And I really appreciate and value his candid nature and coming on here and sharing what he knows about EMF and blue light and all the amazing biohacks that he has. So if you love this episode, if you hated this episode, if you were neutral about this episode, I would love to hear from you. So please share your thoughts over on Instagram at Yogi Fuel. You can send me a message. Hello at melissasing.com. And as always, if you want to rate or review this podcast, I would be so grateful. You can just go into iTunes or Spotify, wherever you listen, and just give it a rating, give it a review, let us know what you think. And sharing this podcast with your friends, with your family is an amazing way to share the message of Yogi Fuel. And specifically with this podcast, share more about technology and blue light and EMF. These are such important topics. And I think that we need to you know, be talking a little bit more about them. All right. That's all I've got for this week. I hope you enjoyed and I'll see you next week.